please turn with me in God's Word uh, to Hebrews, Hebrews in chapter 12, and I just would like to read the first uh, four verses uh, from Hebrews and uh, chapter 12. That's a passage of Scripture we'll be looking at this morning together, so I'd encourage you to have that open in front of you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured for sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we are gathered here this morning, we thank you that we're in your presence. We know that. You tell us that. But this morning, may we feel that in a special sense. May your Holy Spirit come down upon each and every one of us as we look into your word, and may you speak to us and meet us at our point of need. O oh Lord God, break the brokenhearted, heal the wounded, crush the proud and draw them to yourself. O oh Lord God, you know what we need and we pray that you administer to it through your word this morning and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Help me and enable me to do what I cannot do and preach the word through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two thousand and twelve. Two thousand and twelve, the summer of two thousand and twelve is etched on pretty much every Englishman's mind. It was when the Olympics came to London. And it was the year that England has done the best it has ever done in the Olympics. And one of the big reasons that this was, was apparently because of the effect of the home crowd. And so often when the medalists were interviewed afterwards and they spoke to them and said about it, they, 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 they often gave two reasons for their inspiration. One often was because of former athletes that went before, inspired them into the sport. And the other was, they said, that the home crowd, the supporters, the great noise, the Union Jacks waving, the red, white, and blue, spurred them on to achieve greatness that they hadn't achieved before. And, and this is something that has 
been apparent for 2,000 years. It's not something that is new. You see, when the races were held 2,000 years ago, in this time that the writer to Hebrews was writing, the judges sat behind the finishing line. And the judges that were sat behind the finishing line were people who had been winners in the past games. And the prizes, the laurel leaf prizes that they got, not the gold medals that our modern Olympians get, but the laurel leaf and the accolade wouldn't be awarded to any of the competitors till the end of the games. So all the winners of the races before stood behind the finishing line, willing, clapping, and cheering on those who were continuing to race. They would be part of the crowd, cheering and shouting and encouraging those who were still racing. And friends, the Christian life is likened to a race. And this passage of Scripture is reminding us that we are not the first to attempt this. We're not the first Christians to live in this world. We are 2,000 years on. Many, many have gone before us. And those that had come new to their faith in the time when the writer to the Hebrews was writing to them, they were reminded that they weren't the first ones neither. And in that verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Therefore, we also are compassed around with so great a cloud of witnesses. What they were being reminded, the Hebrews, was that those had gone before. And it's not so much that these people were watching them, but it was a witness to They've gone before. They have done it. You see, these people that are, that, that, are, that are referenced in chapter 11, the previous chapter, they are witnesses to the fact that the race can be won. They have witnessed the fact that this Christian race can be finished. They're witnesses to the fact that this Christian race can be extremely hard and extremely difficult. And for some of you now, you may be going through some of the pressures that Christian life brings to you. Temptations, difficulties, upset relatives, I don't know. But they were able to overcome such incredible hardships. And these witnesses in chapter 11 also witnessed the fact that the Christian life can end abruptly and painfully. But they were all victorious. This is a big point. They were all victorious. The, the, the original word here that, that's used for this cloud of witnesses is martyr. And our modern sense is the martyr. They're people who've given their lives up for the sake of the truth. And this is the cloud of witnesses that these people are told to look back to. These Hebrews are told to look back and realize that there has been this great cloud of witnesses that have gone before them. They've done the race. They've gone and they've won. Abel, Enoch, Noah, 
Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Joseph, Jacob, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David and Samuel, they're all mentioned there. They're all mentioned, and and I'm sure you can remember their names and, and think of their stories. And these people went through hard times. They didn't have it all easy. It was dark times for some of them. You can, you can look at, through their stories and you can see how their faith was tried. Noah was told to build an ark, told that it was going to rain. He'd never seen rain before. He didn't know what an ark was. And it took him a hundred years. A hundred years of his faith being tested. None of us are a hundred years old here, I'm, I'm guessing. But he was waiting a hundred years for the promise to come true. And some of you may have been waiting 20 months for your promise to come true. And it's difficult, isn't it? It's hard. And we see that list and we realize they had dark times. You go to the Psalms and you read of David's dark times. A man who had depression, a man who had difficulties, a man who had enemies. And it doesn't get much darker than being sawn in two. That's not an end that I wish for myself. Or wish on any of you. But they they went. But also when we read through this list of people, we see this list of people, they were not perfect. They failed. Noah got drunk and had some difficulties at the end. Abraham and Sarah, well, we lied and did all sorts of things, didn't they? David, the, the names ring out, and that list is a list of real people who failed, but they ran the race. And these broken, sinful, failed people ran faithfully, and now they've gone before us. And that's the picture. And we can see people in the Old Testament that have been enabled to go forward. And I'm sure that as a church here, you have your forefathers. You have your own heroes of faith. You have had the pillars of the church. And they've gone before you. And they've run the race. And we can look through church history and we can see myriads of people who have run the race. And so the question we should be asking ourselves this morning is, why not me? Why can't I run this race like they did? Why can't I be like that? And so we need to be challenged not to to say, why not me? But friends, I want us to leave here this morning saying, let it be me. Not why not, let it be me. If this cloud of witnesses has gone before us, if God can take people through it, Why can't he do it for you? There's no reason why he can't do it for you. So let it be me. So how do we do this? How how do we take this on? As you go through these verses together, I want to pull out some main points for us to to, to realize. And then the first heading that I have for you this morning after this challenge of why not me or let it be me. How do we do this? Well, we have to strip for action. This comes from verse 1, our first heading this morning, strip for action. Verse 1, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. 
we live in Cyprus and we have Roman ruins around us and it is a huge privilege to be able to see these Roman ruins. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the statues of the Greek athletes or the Roman athletes. And one thing you can't help but notice is these athletes are naked. And this wasn't because of some rude, illicit sexual thing. No, this was because in in the days of, of Hebrew times, in the days of the Greeks and the Romans, clothing got in the way. And, and, and so they would, they, the, the athletes would strip themselves of anything that could hinder themselves. Nowadays, thankfully, we have lycra. It has the same effect, but gives some modesty about it. You don't see an athlete wearing a suit, do you? They, they take their tracksuits off and put them in the baskets before they start. They strip themselves down. They, they take themselves to nothing. And, and the point the writer, the Hebrews, is making is when you are racing, you get rid of everything that hinders you. And so what is it that hinders people in their Christian life? What hinders people in their race to heaven, as it were? Well, there's two things talked about here, two potential problems. There is every weight and there is sin. And this is really important, friends. It's really important because we often concentrate on the sin. And and, and we as good Christians, we we, we avoid sin. And that's good and proper. But there's something else. There's this every weight. And there's lots of things in our lives that are not sin, but can hold us back. And they can become sin. Speaking very frankly... We have many African students, and particularly West African students, in our congregation. And education is something that is a weight that pulls people back. I've seen young people who've been arriving in Cyprus, dedicated to their faith, and over a period of time, their education has become more important than their faith. Now, there's nothing wrong with education, but when education comes and becomes more important, and and we see it in the UK, we see it in Europe, someone's career becomes more important, someone's family becomes more important, someone's health becomes more important, and these things can be the every weight that gets in our way. And we must evaluate our lives as Christians. As believers, those who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, we we need to ask ourselves, is there something that is hindering us and slowing us down? What is hindering you this morning in your Christian walk? I've been so impressed and and delighted to see the, the, the work of the Lord at Lusaka Baptist Church and just seeing how many people are involved with the work. But each of the the, the groups there, each of the the ministries were saying, we need more people involved. And part of our serving, a part of our racing is being involved in our local church life. And, And sometimes we can be hindered to be involved because other things in our life has become more important. Maybe the sports, maybe the family. And what's hindering you from spending time in God's word? Quality time by yourself. These things can stop us. 
These things can get in the way. They are the every weight. And what we have to do is we have to take these things to the Lord and confess them and ask him to get our priorities right. And, and the writer talks about sin, doesn't he? And he talks about this sin which so does easily beset us or the sin that clings to us. Now the fact that sin clings to us isn't an excuse. It's a warning. He's giving us a warning. And probably right now in your life, right now, there are sins that are getting in your way. We're all different. And, and you've probably thought about your neighbor's sins. But that's not the point. It's your sins. What are, what are the sins, what are the things in your life that are getting in the way of running the race? What, what's your internet browser history like? What, what is the, the thoughts in your mind like? What is your attitude to, to gossip? And, and the list goes on. And, and we, we need to take these things seriously. And we need to be honest with ourselves. And our hearts are deceptively wicked. We need God to show us. And we have to take these things seriously. And, and this stuff clings to us, doesn't it? Maybe there are some of you here this morning. And, and there's habitual sins that are dark and secret in your heart. And they cling to you. And, and this needs dealing with. We need to... We need to do what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, he says he doesn't run aimlessly. He doesn't box as one beating the air. It was funny the other day. We were, we were driving through one of the townships and I saw this man running along the street. And then he stopped in the street and, and, and threw a few punches. And then he carried on running and stopped. And, and I think it was exercising, I don't, but it looked pointless. It looked, it looked aimless. And, and this is it, yes? And then what Paul says, he's going to discipline his body and keep it under control. And, and that's particularly to him, lest after preaching he disqualifies himself. But friends, what I'm saying here is, is we have to be disciplined. An athlete will only win a race if they are disciplined. They control what they eat. They control what they think about. They, 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 they get up early. They go to bed early. They, 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 their whole life is, is there, dedicated to what they're doing. Come with me in your imaginations, in your mind's eye. Let's go back 2,000 years ago. And, and the Olympics are being held there in Athens. And they're lining up for the 100 metre, well they wouldn't have called it the 100 metre race, but the 100 metre sprint. And they're all there and they've got, their, they've got their cloaks on. And they're all lining up to race. And then one of them thinks, if I took this off I'd go faster. And just before the start of the race he slips it off and there he is in his birthday suit. Now I imagine he would have felt very self-conscious. But when he crossed that line first, it would have been worth it, wouldn't it? And this is the point. This is the picture language. It's, it's not about the challenge and the difficulty of the moment. It's where we're going. And friends, the cost of letting these things aside, the cost of getting rid of them now, is nothing in comparison to where you are going. And that's the picture that we are given here. And so the challenge I want to ask you right now, friends, is what are you going to do about the sin in your life 
and the things that are getting in the way. And it may be for some of you, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And friend, the big problem in your life is your sin. Because your sin is separating you from the eternal God who made the heavens and the earth. And your sin is your barrier and your problem. And you can do nothing to make yourself right other than come to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive you. The Lord Jesus Christ came to this world to take the sins of his people. And whoever calls upon his name, he will take their sin. And their sin will be nailed to Calvary. And he will have bore the punishment. And you can start your race today running with him. But believer, what are you going to do about your sin? The stuff that gets in your way. To continue in this race, we need to strip for action. But secondly, we see here, we are to never give up. Never give up. We see this in verse 1 and, and, and verse 4. It says, let us run the race with endurance. The race that is set before us. And then in verse 4 it says, In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. This word resisted is from the same root word as, as, as race in verse 1. And, and so we have this notion that we, we, we're to keep on going. We have to run the race come what may. And, and it's a personal race set before us. And Jesus set the ultimate example in this. For, for him, there was joy in what was set before him. He endured the cross and he despised the shame. And Jesus kept on going as he went before us. I've done a little bit of running myself. Never particularly fast. and The longer the distance for me, the better it was. But you have to just keep going. And sometimes in a long distance race, you come to a hill. And you can't just say, oh, I'm not going to do this one. You have to keep going. Because if you don't keep going, you don't get to the end. You've seen the hurdlers, haven't you? And the hurdlers line up. And I'm amazed at how high these hurdles are. And they don't sort of say, excuse me, could you just lower them for me today? I want some lower hurdles. No, they have to just go and keep at it. And you've probably seen some of these hurdlers as they've leapt, they've become entangled with them and they've tripped themselves up and they get up and they continue going, don't they? They just have to keep going and we have to keep going in the race of our faith. We have to keep going in the context of come what may. And Jesus is, the, is this huge example of it. His race took him on the path of intense suffering. And it keeps on going. And, and, and I'm sure you know the reality of this. As God's people in this race, you know that we're to expect difficulties. Those that have gone before us had difficulties, they had challenges. They had hardships. 
And friends, I, I really want to emphasize this in, in the culture where you're coming from, and, and certainly the, the culture of the West Africans over in Nigeria and Cameroon. Often they are told that hardships and difficulties in your life are a sign of sin and a sign of a lack of faith, and that's a load of rubbish. It's not. It's not. Very often, the greater faith someone has, the bigger the trials and the temptations they go through. These things are what God uses. We just see that in the book of, uh, of Job, don't we? God very often puts trials and temptations in our lives to extend us and to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you're going to go through difficulties. You may right now be going through difficulties. And what the writer to the Hebrews was saying is keep at it. Keep on going. And you might be saying, well, this is a bit negative. What we want is we want to be told that things will get easy in Jesus' name and everything will get better in Jesus' name and keep on going and it will all be fine. No. It could well get worse for you. The difficulties of this last year could be worse in the coming year. My son, my younger son Jacob was participating in a trail run up and down some mountains. And uh, some of the people that were participating in this, this distance race, I think it was a 30k or, or maybe a 10k, I'm not sure, it was a long distance, they got upset. They got upset. They didn't finish it. They, they, they didn't make it. And they got upset because they weren't awarded a finish as a medal. They thought that by taking part that they should receive something. You see, great athletes have this aim. And they have this clear aim and it's to win the medal. They don't go to the games to take part. They go to the games to win. The football team goes to the game to win. And you see, friends, this is where we should be thinking. We have to keep going because we are going to glory. We're going to heaven. We're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our home. This is the race that we have to take it. And so, friends, we need to be thinking about our goal. And so just as we're told to strip off and get rid of the stuff that gets in the way, just as we're told to never give up, we may think these things are too difficult. And then the passage tells us how to do it. Thirdly, we are to look to Jesus. If you're thinking, how can I strip down and get rid of the sin? Look to Jesus. If you're thinking, how can I keep on going? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. I just want to break this down as we look to Jesus. We're to look to him as the founder and the perfecter of our faith. We cannot do it. Jesus has done it. And it's Jesus we need to look to. And that besetting sin that holds you, you will not get out of it yourself. But if you go to Jesus, he will take it and you will overcome it. The challenge and the difficulty that you are going through, you can't just push through it. You can't just make it happen. But go to Jesus, look to Jesus. He started this work in you. 
If you've come to the point where you've called upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you're trusting him as your saviour, that work happened because Jesus started it in your life through the Holy Spirit. And because what he has done, he is the founder and the perfecter. He's the beginning and the end. He will take it to completion. And so looking to Jesus reminds us that he is the answer. As he started the work, he will finish it. We cannot do it by yourselves. I I could ask you the question, have you tried to get over a sin and just been caught up with it? And I would imagine that all of you would put your hands up. When we try and sort these things out ourselves, it doesn't happen. And the writer of the Hebrews knew that. And he was telling the people then, and he's telling us now, look to Jesus. The bereavement in the family, look to Jesus. The unconverted relatives that are causing you problems, look to Jesus. The difficult work situation, that, that, that's, that's, that's a, a pressure upon you and you are being encouraged to do bribery or cheating or whatever, look to Jesus. That's where the answer lies. And, and you see it very, very practically. You've probably watched the Olympic Games. You've probably watched the, the, the top sprinters. And, and one of the favorite shots that I, I like to see with, with modern television and stuff, they, they can get so many angles. But you see them on the start line, don't you? And, and they get down and they get ready. And what are the athletes doing? They're just looking at the finish line, aren't they? And you, you may see the shot of the, 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 the six, seven, eight, nine of them all lined up there. And they're all intently looking on the finish. And the gun goes, and they're looking at the finish. And they're halfway through the race, and they're looking at the finish. And they go across the finish line, and they've made it. They, they, they don't look into the crowd and say, oh, there's my mother, I'll wave at her. And oh, there's my friend, and wave. They don't, they're not distracted by that. They're just looking at the finish. And friends, that's where we should be. We get so caught up in this world, we look at the stands and we wave at this and we get distracted by that. And it becomes a mess and we wander off and go the wrong way. And it's because we're not looking at Jesus. And that's what we need to do if we're wanting to win this race. We can only do it by looking to Jesus. We need to have this focus on Jesus. And, and Jesus has set the example for us. He, he's gone before us for who the joy that was set before him. I've had some joy set before me this week. I've had the joy of your cuisine. I'm trying to remember the, the name of that white stuff that you pick up with your hand. And you dip. It's, it's good. I like it. And just the way you cook your meats on the, on the chocolate, it's been a joy. And, and, and the joy of seeing the falls, that's an amazing joy. And, and, and the joy of, 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 I've been collecting animals now, uh, a rhino, a giraffe, uh, a hippo, uh, the, the list goes on. And these are joys and things. The joy of fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. But listen to this. Listen to this joy. The joy that was set before him. He endured the cross. He despised the shame. That's a bit weird, isn't it? 
It's a bit strange. What, what, what's going on here? There was a joy that was set before him. And we might think that the enduring the cross and the despising the shame was a joy. No, the joy is where Jesus has gone to. This world wasn't, wasn't where the joy was for Jesus. The joy is the fact that Jesus Christ is now set on the right hand of God. He made it through this race. He made it through it. And he made it through it because he set his eyes beyond. And Jesus knows what it is like for us. Jesus has been here. Jesus has suffered physical torment like none of you or I have suffered. Jesus has suffered being denied, being betrayed. Jesus has suffered his friends running away from him. Jesus has suffered hunger. Jesus has suffered sleep deprivation. Everything that you have suffered, Jesus has suffered in buckets. And he did it. And why did he do it? So that we could be saved and made right with God. So that we could look forward to the joy that was set before him. In that way that he went home to be with his father in heaven. And friends, that's where we're going because of what Jesus Jesus has done for us. And that's why we need to keep looking at Jesus. He has gone before us. He's set the example. He's done it. He endured the cross. And the cross is real. And the cross is real for you. And the shame is real. And the shame is real for you. And if we keep looking at the cross and keep looking at the shame, it'll become bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more problematic and we'll get bowed down under it. And friends, we can't do it in our own strength, but when we look at Jesus, he has gone before, he has made it, he is now sat at the right hand of God. Jesus went through an extremely hard life, particularly in those last three years, in those last few weeks. And why should we have the arrogance to demand it easy when Christ went so much? But what we should be doing is looking to Christ and looking to see where he is now. If you've done any long distance running, and if any of you run a half marathon or a marathon, you'll know this, that there comes to a point, and it's called going through the wall. The athlete comes to a point, and their body is telling them, no. And the only way that the athlete can win or complete the race is by going through that pain. And and the only way that they can really do that is focusing beyond it. And I remember running with one of my sons and we were doing a long distance run together. And, And I remember encouraging him. He got to that point. And I knew that at the finishing line, his mum was waiting with some of his favourite sweets. His favourite cat. And I said, Dad, just think. You're going to get there. You're going to have that. And, and, And we have to think about it. What inspired Jesus to do what he did for us? For the joy that was set before him. Jesus looked past the cross. He looked past the pain. And he saw what was set before him. And he sat at the right hand of the throne of God. And he was looking forward to his job done. He was looking forward to be reunited to his father in heaven. He was looking forward to the place of honor in heaven. Reserved for the savior of the world. And and that can be the same for us in the spiritual sense. We need to look with our eyes of faith. To Jesus in heaven.
We, we have to remember that this world is not our home. This world is temporary. It's not what it's all about. The devil keeps selling us the lie that this is what it's all about. It's not. Our eternity is secured in Christ, and that is our home. And that is where we're going. There can be joys in this world, and I've experienced some of this last week. But one thing that really struck me is if this world can give me the blessings that I've had in this last week, what is heaven going to be like? What is heaven going to be like when there is no more suffering, no more pain, no more suffering? Just this last week in Lusaka Baptist, they were reminded of the brevity of life when, when they had to bury one of their members. Death happens, doesn't it? This world and this life isn't forever, but there is an eternity that we should be looking forward to. An eternity where Jesus is waiting for us. Earlier in the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, we have an amazing illustration of what's going on here. And in closing, I want to share this with you to encourage you as we run this race. In chapter 6, in verse 19 of chapter 6, we, we read this. That's Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. We have this, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone, a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There are two illustrations here. And they come in the words of an anchor and a forerunner. And I want to put these into context and to help you to see the true wonder of the encouragement that you have here. Cyprus and... Zambia are very different countries. Zambia is huge and it's landlocked. And Cyprus is tiny and it's surrounded uh, by the sea. And so for us in Cyprus, this notion of anchor and forerunner is something we, we understand a lot more. Now, often when you think of an anchor you think of something that you throw over the side of a boat to stop it from drifting, yeah? That, that's predominantly where your mind goes. Well, if you were ever to come with us to Cyprus and we took you to Kyrenia where there is a harbour where the boats come in and out, I would show you there in that harbour a different anchor. In that harbour set in great columns of stone are anchors. Big columns of stone with a hole through it where a rope would go through. And you might ask yourself, what's the point of an anchor in the harbour? Well, that's where the forerunner comes in. You see, those 2,000 years ago, the boats were powered by sails. And in a storm, you don't put the sails up, because if you put your sails up in a storm, it's, it's dangerous. And so in storms, when the ship was outside of the harbour, it was at the mercy of the waves. 
and they couldn't put their sails up to navigate. And they were just drifting around rather hopelessly. But what they would do is they would put a smaller boat into the water from the big boat. And that smaller boat would take a rope from the big boat into the harbour. And that smaller boat was called the Forerunner. And the Forerunner went into the harbour. And then when it got into the harbour, that rope went into the anchor. And it went round the anchor and it held it. And you get the picture here, don't you? Because that boat is still outside the harbour, bobbing around at the mercy of the waves, but is connected to safety. It's connected because the forerunner has went before it. The forerunner has gone out of that difficult situation into the safety of the harbour. And with that rope, it's tied it and it's connected. And that ship is no longer at the mercy of the waves because slowly, slowly, the sailors in there can pull on that rope. And they get pulled into the safety of the harbour because the forerunner has gone first. Friends, this is the encouragement. The Lord Jesus Christ is the forerunner. He's gone before us. He has sat in heaven. He is at the right hand of God. And he is our assurance that we will make it. That we can run the race. That we can overcome the challenges. Christ has done it before us. He is the forerunner. And even though we are outside of the harbour, in the storms of life, being beaten, being pushed around, the Lord Jesus Christ is there in heaven. And because he is there in heaven, our assurance is we are in heaven too. And Paul, as he wrote to the Ephesians, he told us we are seated in heavenly places. Friends, it is as good as us being there. Our salvation is secured in the Lord Jesus Christ. It is solid. That rock, those big stones in the harbour are going nowhere. But friends, what we sometimes do is we throw our own little anchor over the side of our boat and we put our safety and security in that. We don't need that. We need Christ. And he's there, sat in the right hand of God, waiting for us, waiting for an abundant entry which he has secured for us. There is an unbreakable rope, as it were, between heaven, our eternal home, and us here in the storms of life. The storms of life are not going to overcome us because Christ has made the way. And so we're reminded in this passage we will never do it in our own strength, but we have to strip for action. We'll never do it in strength our own strength and we should never give up left to ourselves we would give up but we can make it as we look to Jesus he started so we will finish he's gone before and he's waiting for us at the finishing line and can you imagine it the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be applauding and cheering you home along with all those that have gone before you and you can do it because Christ has made it. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run the race with endurance. 
that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come before you now, may we have a fresh vision that Christ our Saviour has gone before us and is sat at your right hand. And because he is there interceding for us, because he is there by going through Calvary's cross and making a way for us, we can be assured of our eternal home. Oh Lord God, in the storms of our life, in the challenges of getting rid of the sin and the things that are around us that are hindering us, help us through Christ to lay those things aside. Help us with Christ to continue the race that is set before us. And may we have that joy one day. And may that joy give you great joy. And may it be to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.